We got some family business to talk through real quick. First of all, we are four days away from the Shelby and Nicole wedding. That's pretty exciting. Like, there she is. Where's, oh, there's Shelby. Hi, Shelby. Wow, that, that's like, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's like right around the corner, bro. So that's pretty exciting. And you're probably like really busy helping plan all of the details, right? Right? All right, perfect, perfect. Is he helping, Nicole? All right, good, 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 good. <laughs> There's a test, all right? You kind of got to say yes to that. You can't call out your fiancé in front of in the all of Chi Alpha. But, uh, uh, yeah, some other family business. Let's see. Uh, Niall's haircut's looking really fresh. Yeah, I think that just, just, just proud of you, all right? Just really proud of you. Um, uh, and last week, Jesse shared. How many people appreciated Jesse sharing his story last week? So here's really something really exciting. Last week, we uh, received an offering for Jesse and Barbara, uh, and we kind of set a goal of covering one-third of their cash budget uh, on their way to Mongolia. And last week, I wanted to update you as to what came in in that offering, uh, because we actually set a record for the largest missions offering ever given in Chi Alpha history, uh, last in our Chi Alpha history anyways. Uh, Last week, you guys raised $7,258.44 for missions. Isn't that awesome? Per capita giving, I think that's about $100 per person that was in the room last week. So just a little over that. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so thank you for sacrificing. Uh, I called Jesse. Uh, we had like the rough numbers in. I called Jesse at like 11 p.m., on Thursday night, I was like, hey, guess what, bro? <laughs> this is pretty cool. So uh, praise the Lord. That is like an awesome start to their missions account. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you guys are almost there now. Really, with this, the faster they raise their money, the faster Jesse leaves. So really, <laughs> interpret that however you want to, Jesse, all right? All right, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I just turned that really great moment into a bad moment. I'm sorry. All right. So praise God. Way to go. Uh, thanks for your sacrifice to missions, and, and that, that's a really, really, really big deal. Um, good job. Well, tonight, uh, I want to talk about dry seasons in our lives. How many people have ever walked through something challenging? Okay, when I talk about dry seasons, what I'm referring to as like, a, a season in which spiritually you just feel like not a whole lot's happening. Anybody like that? All right. Only like seven of us have been through a dry season. The rest of you are like, nope, oasis all the time, Steve. I don't know what you're talking about. The reality is, is none of us like challenges and none of us like dry seasons. When it comes to our spiritual lives, right, we like things to be kosher all the time. We don't like the, the, the roughness of it. But the problem is, is that life is always going to throw us things that are going to be difficult. And, uh, and how we handle those things is the power to redirect our future. You've heard me say that before. But we don't like that very much. For example, like you guys fill in the blank here. When life hands you lemons, make lemonade, right? And we know that. Like we know that. Like we're like, yes, 
That's a really good saying. The problem is, is most of the time when life hands us lemons, we fill in the blank this way. When life hands us lemons, make a demand to speak to the manager, right? Or when life hands you lemons, make excuses as to why we should quit. Or when life hands you lemons, make a convincing argument as to why this probably wasn't worth it in the first place. Sorry, is that like too toast at Biani today? All right, let's do another one. Whatever doesn't kill us makes us. But if we had to be honest with ourselves, more than likely the way we actually answer that statement most of the time in our lives is that we've convinced ourselves that whatever doesn't kill us makes us weaker. Or whatever doesn't kill us makes us intimately aware of its potential to kill us and should therefore still be avoided as if our very life depended on it. Right? <laughs> Why does that get the most amens out of anything I've said in the last month? All right? Right? That's, that's kind of what our brains go to. Or listen to this one. There's a light at the end of the... But what we do instead, there's a light at the end of the coping mechanism that momentarily helps me forget about the tunnel I am in and makes me avoid the responsibility of getting out of the tunnel. Right? Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> There's a light at the end of the coping mechanism. Right back on the back. All right? Put that on a motivational poster. Actually, Jang, you should have that in your advisor office at UAA. All right? All right. <laughs> the reality is, is that none of us like dry seasons or challenging seasons in our lives. But we're going to walk through them. Some of you know that you're about to walk through one this summer. You've been in this, like, beautiful oasis that is small group in Chi Alpha for the last nine months. And you know, maybe you're going home to family. And it's going to be a situation that isn't going to be necessarily easy spiritually. Maybe you're going home to old friends. Maybe you're going to be around old coworkers. Maybe you're going to be working in a workplace environment this summer that you know is going to be really difficult. Right? Or maybe you just know that there's going to be something stressful coming in your life. Whatever. Maybe you have no... Uh, maybe no dry season is on the horizon, eventually you will run into one. And when we come face-to-face with a dry season, how we choose to look at dry and difficult spiritual seasons really, really matters. Because the smallest shift in a mindset can change everything about a dry or challenging spiritual season. Sometimes in Christianity, we call these desert seasons, right? Oh, I'm just in a, I'm just in a desert right now. It's just a desert season with, and I'm not really sure where the Lord has me going. Right? Well, how we look at a desert season, if you think about it, and this is kind of a little bit corny, all right? But desert is only one s away from becoming dessert. You know what I'm saying? And what I want to talk about tonight is how do you turn desert seasons into dessert? It actually isn't that hard to do. It's a small adjustment. And this guy named Elijah was really, really good at turning deserts into desserts. And some of you are like, yes, we should get dessert later. Uh, Sure, that's great. After party. Hit it up. All right. So I'm not saying that every spiritual season is going to become easy. But there's going to be something we can get out of every single season of our lives. Some rich thing that the Lord wants to give us, even in the midst of maybe pain or suffering or dryness. So in 
First Kings chapter 17 is where we run into this guy named Elijah. If you've never read the story of Elijah, the majority of his life gets kind of summed up in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. He appears some other places as well, but that's kind of the biggest chunk of his story. I love his story. Uh, if you're around Steve for long, uh, you're going to hear him talk a lot about Elijah. Literally, Philly and I were just hanging out the other day, and uh, whether he liked it or not, I preached him an entire sermon on Elijah uh, while we were having coffee together. Sorry, Philly. Uh, hopefully something in there blessed you. Uh, but I love I love Elijah, and so kind of to give you a background of what's happening in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah goes and stands before this king named Ahab. Ahab was a bad dude. Uh, and he was doing things that were completely dishonoring to God, and so God was going to bring judgment upon the land. And he sent his prophet, Elijah, prophet is just a fancy word for somebody who speaks on behalf of God to God's people. And he stands before Elijah, and he says that it's not going to rain unless I tell it to rain, which is a pretty bold claim to make, right? And uh, and then it's literally a drought starts. And Elijah's in trouble because whose fault is it that the drought started? Well, everybody's blaming Elijah, right? Really, whose fault was it? It was King Ahab's fault for disobeying the Lord. But he blames Elijah, makes Elijah the scapegoat. And so Elijah needs to flee. He goes into the middle of the desert during a drought. And during his time in the desert, if you read the story, it's a miraculous thing. There is a brook that never runs dry. And he gets fed meat transported to him by ravens. Now, if you've ever seen a raven in a parking lot, you know that's a miracle, all right? Because ravens don't share anything, all right? They would, like, take a donut out of your hand as you're walking to your car out of Kaladis. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're, like, right there. And so this is amazing that there's, like, this... These animals bringing him food every single day. And some of you are in that type of season right now. Like, I made this decision to do something bold for Jesus. And now every week I have this small group. And every week I come to Chi Alpha. And I'm just feeling like I get fed by a raven named, I get fed by a raven named Anna every single Tuesday night. I get fed by this, like, little brookie, brook stream named Chi Alpha. And this is wonderful, right? What happens when it dries up? And that's what happens in verse 7. Sometime later, it says, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, Hey, and uh, bring me a piece of bread, please. As surely, now this is what she says to him. Sure, I can grab that for you. No. It's a little bit more doom and gloom than that. As surely as the Lord God your lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. (laughs) How's that for dramatic, right? (laughs) I just love that there's like a dash there, like eat it and die. (laughs) Elijah said to her, 
don't be afraid. Go home and do as I have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. Isn't this a cool story? Can you imagine like a never-ending like box of Lucky Charms? I would love that. I love Lucky Charms, all right? Yes, I am 34 years old and I love Lucky Charms. Don't judge me, Micah. I see the judgment in your eyes. All right. Sometime later, it gets better. Sometime later, the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? This is all your fault. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him into the upper room where he was where he was staying, laid him on the bed, and he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on the widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy li- boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. <laughs> I don't know how he actually said it. This is one of those stories that I'm going to, like, hit the replay button on when I get to heaven. Be like, I want to watch that one, Lord. All right. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Okay, so Elijah was in a dry season. He was in a desert season. And he turned it into dessert. So how do we do that? Well, it all starts with mindsets. Because a simple mindset shift can change everything about our perspective. And I want to share four mindsets that we can pull from this scripture tonight. The first one is this, is the mindset of having preparation. Don't go into a desert without a plan. If you know you're going to walk into a difficult situation, you know you're going to be going into a situation this summer that you know is going to be difficult, go in and ask God for a plan. Elijah was a praying man. He was a man who knew how to hear God's voice, and God gave him plans. God said, go to Ahab. He went to Ahab. God said, go, I have provided a brook, and ravens are going to feed you. And they fed him. And then he said, then God said, I need you to leave this place, and I need you to go, and I need you to ask the widow for food. He had a plan mapped out for him, but it was because he heard the plan. It was because he was in tune with God's voice. Have you prayed about your game plan? Have you allowed the Lord to give you warning and wisdom for what is coming in your life? Summer's going to change. And if nothing else changes, just a change of schedule can sometimes throw us off. So often when people graduate from college, one of the biggest things they struggle with is just adulting while following Jesus. Meaning, man, I used to stay up to 2 a.m. every single day. At the cove, and it was totally fine. And now I have a real job, and I need to go to bed because if I don't, I'm miserable in the morning and I don't perform well at work. (laughs) And 
all of a sudden, I realized that, like, oh, maybe I should probably do that. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my sleep adjustments changed. And I don't have any time in the morning because I wake up. I work at 9. I wake up at 8.30. I throw my clothes on. I'm out the door, and I get to work at 9.01, right? Because my schedule is totally off, I haven't put, found a place to put any time with Jesus in there. No time to listen to the Lord. And before I know it, not only am I in a dry season, but I'm in a dry season without any type of plan. If you ask the Lord, what am I walking into in this next season? He'll prepare you. If you're spending time with Jesus every single day, even if there's a dry season on the horizon that you don't even know is coming yet, he's already preparing you for that. What a beautiful thing. My friends, developing a game plan can, for your summer can actually be really, really practical. Most of the time, college students, from what I have seen, their summer kind of tells them what to do. What if you went into your summer having told your summer what your summer was going to be like? So that summer doesn't control you, but you have control over your summer. Like, no, I'm going to make it a point to have a plan. This summer is that where, how I'm going to prioritize my walk with Jesus. The second mindset is the mindset of appreciation. When we walk into a desert season, we have to realize that one of the reasons we are there is probably not because God like somehow like is like manipulating us and be like, huh. All right, I am going to put Kivit into a dry season now, right? Like, I don't know why all of a sudden God became Russian in that moment. But, uh, like, I, I, I just, like, God doesn't do that, right? He doesn't, like, make this, like, evil plan for you to walk into a dry season. But God never wastes anything. When we walk through challenging stuff, there's going to be something that God does on the other end that as we look back, we're going to say, wow, I grew in that way. And then if we look at it that way, we can actually appreciate the seasons. When we are pushed to the end of ourselves, that's when great things happen, right? Elijah had no other way of providing for himself. And he gets to witness a miracle. He gets fed by unlimited pots of flour and oil. That's pretty cool, right? But so often when we get into a dry season, we spend so much time complaining about it that we forget to look for where God might want to do the miraculous in that season. And if we press through, it can actually become a season of growth. Hebrews 12 talks about this. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? In other words, he's going to utilize the situation to... Teach us something. That's what good parents do. When I did stupid stuff, did my dad, when I was a kid, I'd do stupid things, and my dad would pull me aside. And he'd say, well, that was stupid. <laughs> did you learn anything? Yes. And he turned those moments of dryness and challenge into a parenting discipleship moment. That's what a good parent does. And that's what God's going to do. I'm not saying he causes the dry season, but he's going to teach us something in it because he's good. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, the author of Hebrews goes on to write. But painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. 
That's what these dry seasons do. But we shy away from them often because of what we talked about at the beginning of this message. Ah, uh, I don't I don't want anything to do with that. I just how can I how can I how can I get out of this as fast as I possibly can? So often when we're in those dry seasons, we can't appreciate them because and we push them away because we have convinced ourselves that either there's something wrong with God or there's something wrong with me. So let's just look at those really quick. There's something wrong with God. Sometimes we're like, well, God isn't doing what I wanted, what he used to do, or he, this doesn't feel how it used to feel, or this isn't what I expected it to look like, or this is more difficult than what I thought it should be. If Elijah had kept that mentality, he would have stayed at the brook and just complained. I really liked the meat that you were giving me. I really liked the water from the brook. I just want to be here. And he would have missed out on the miracle. And so often we do that with Jesus, don't we? Rather than looking to, God, what are you doing in this season? How can I appreciate this season? No, I'm mad, right? I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to file my complaints with you, God. But I'm not going to listen. Well, the Lord just must not be in this anymore. Or maybe we walk into a season and Elijah could have very well said, like, Honestly, like flour and oil, like, I mean, if you're going to do something, God, maybe make it like Skittles and like Raising Cane's. You know what I'm saying? Like like a jar, can you imagine a jar of unlimited Raising Cane's chicken finger wings? And then another jar of Raising Cane's sauce? I don't know. I'm like, I'm a big Raising Cane's fan. I could, like, I could just, I would love, if you gave me a pool, like a pool of Raising cane sauce, I would swim in it. I would. I would do it. I would do it. <laughs> wow, Steve. Lucky Charms, Raising cane sauce. Like, you're going to die at 38. Uh, <laughs> Elijah could have said that, right? Why didn't you give me something that I liked? But God gave Elijah exactly what he needed. Maybe we're saying, well, maybe something's wrong with me. Dry seasons do not mean that we have been forsaken by the Lord. It doesn't mean that God stopped caring about us. But they can be humbling, can't they? Because they make us realize our humanity. They make us realize our dependency on the Lord. Look at what happens in Elijah's life in this situation. Elijah is getting fed by ravens and the brook. Everything is going really, really well. And then what does God say that he needs to do? He says, you need to go and ask somebody in Zarephath for help. Zarephath was actually in enemy territory, by the way. So he was going to have to go to somebody that didn't like him to ask for food from somebody that didn't like him. That's like humility checkbox number one. Humility checkbox number two is that he was going to have to go and ask a woman for help, which in, uh, that's, I'm, not, not, I'm not saying anything about that. I'm saying from the cultural day of the time, that would have been a faux pas for Elijah to do that. Not only was this woman a, a woman, but she was also a widow, which meant that culturally Elijah was supposed to be helping her, not the other way around. So, Foreigner, woman, widow. That's like humble pie, humble pie, humble pie. 
And then he goes up and asks her for food. And not only is she a widow, she is a widow who is starving literally to death and about to eat her last meal. Humble pie again. Now he's like, I mean, at this point, Elijah is so lowly that, like, there's no ego left in him at all, right? And what does he say? Hey, I need you to cook me some bread. He doesn't come and was like, uh, you know, well, maybe if you don't, if it's not, like, really too inconvenient and it doesn't really burden you. Oh, oh, you're hungry? Okay, then I'll, I'll just look somewhere else, right? No. He's not insecure about it, right? He's not weird about it. He's so stinking rooted in his identity in the Lord and so confident in what he has been called to do that he goes to this person that requires him to humble himself and realize that he's got nothing to offer anybody and say, hey, I need you to feed me. God said, you're going to feed me. I need you to feed me. My friend, sometimes in dry seasons, God is going to ask us to do things that are going to make us feel like, ah, I just need to humble myself here. I thought I was beyond this. I thought my walk with Jesus wasn't going to struggle in this way. I didn't think I was going to need to ask somebody for help. I didn't think I was going to need to ask somebody for prayer. I just think it's so funny. Every single week at Chi Alpha, we offer prayer. And every single week, I guarantee there's, every time I, it's so funny whenever I ask somebody for prayer, whenever I ask a guy for prayer and they're like, no, I'm good. It's like, really? Like, everything in your life is perfect? There are no problems at all whatsoever. It's like, wow. Can you pray for me? (laughs) Because, man, we all need help, and it just sometimes requires us to humble ourselves. Third mindset is the mindset of resolution. Have we resolved in our hearts that I'm going to get through this dry season? Are we going to be unfazed by the attitudes around us? When we're walking through desert seasons, it seems like everyone around us has something to say. And people's attitudes tend to be contagious. Right? When we were, when we were, uh, it was COVID, right? And uh, you guys remember the toilet paper scare? The toilet paper scare was totally irrational, all right? But it was contagious. And I wasn't going to give in to fear during COVID, right? I was like, no, I'm sticking to my guns. I'm not, I'm not afraid of running out of toilet paper, right? And finally, it just became so crazy that I remember talking to Aaron, and Aaron's on her way out of the house. I'm like, Aaron, do we have enough toilet paper? And she's like, yes. I'm like, no. Are you sure we have enough toilet paper? It's like, I... Listen, I only saw one of those giant Costco packages in there, right? And Aaron does, like, all of our grocery shopping. I have no idea what happened. Things just appear in my house. It's wonderful, all right? It's just awesome, right? And she, she goes, Steve, one of those packages lasts us almost an entire year. I was like, oh. And then I start thinking about the guy I saw at Costco with nine of them. And his like, he's like, that guy bought nine years worth of toilet paper, right? Unless he's got like a family of 12 people, right? Listen, worry and all of our attitudes tend to be contagious. And if you are around somebody that is constantly spewing negativity on you in your dry season, eventually you're going to start to believe those things around you. Elijah had this, right? 
he walks up to the widow at Zarephath and says, I need you to feed me. And she says, listen, I am literally, I'm gathered up a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I've gathered up these sticks. I'm going to go make this meal. I'm going to die. And Elijah very easily could have been like, ah, okay, sorry, sorry for asking, right? Uh, you're right, this stinks, life stinks, everything stinks. But he went back to the plan and the preparation. He went back to the appreciation. And he said, no, I know what God said. God said you were going to feed me. I need you to feed me. There was a, it was resolute. It was finalized. It was decided. My friends, if you're going to be walking through a dry season, you need resolute statements in your life. You need to insert God's promises and his word into those seasons so that you know that you know that you know that you're not going to be shaken. And finally, number four is direction. Every season, I believe this, every single season, God has some form of mission for us to be on and some sort of purpose for his kingdom, things that he wants us to do. For Elijah, even in the midst of a drought and a desert, he saved a widow's life and her family's life because of a miracle. And then ended up raising somebody from the dead in the middle of a desert season. That's turning desert into dessert, my friends. And I believe this, that regardless of where you're going, regardless of what you're doing this summer, Regardless of this is your last three weeks of Chi Alpha ever, and if you're a senior or you're transitioning out, God has something for you to do in this next season. And it might feel dry at first, but part of getting out of the desert and realizing that there's going to be dessert in that desert is looking for what God has for you to do. And recognizing and realizing that maybe that very thing that he's calling you to is actually the next step that needs to be taken to get out of the desert. What's interesting about this story is that Elijah, from where, uh, where Elijah was and where he went to, he went to Zarephath, which actually brought him closer to Mount Carmel which is where one of the greatest showdowns of his life and one of the greatest pinnacle moments of his life as a prophet was going to happen. It brought him that much closer to his next victory. If you've never read that story, it's hilarious and awesome. you got to read it. My friends, what is God asking of you? And the worship team can come back up. We... Uh, When I was in college, every summer, I would go home, and uh, I would work for a construction company. I worked for a framer and a roofer, and, uh, and that's how I paid for college. So I'd go home, I'd live at home for free, and then I would, uh, I would, and, you know, mom enjoyed having me at home, so that was good, and I ate a lot of good food, so that was good, and, uh, and I made some money, and I paid for college that way, but... Home was never like the same, like spiritually enriched environment that I had back when I was in school. And so I would work in the summers, and one summer, God laid it on my heart that the direction that he was going to give me in what was usually a kind of a desert season in my life was that I was just supposed to start a small group Bible study for uh, some of the youth in my hometown. 
And so I decided, let's do it, right? So I uh, texted my little brother, texted a few people that I, well, actually, we didn't have texting back then. What did I even do? How did I get a hold of people? Oh, I called them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Phones, they're pretty amazing. If you actually click one of these buttons on here, people can actually hear your voice. It's pretty awesome. Uh, I know you guys don't do that very often, but that's how we used to get a hold of each other. So we, uh, I called a bunch of people up, invited probably like 14 or 15 people to this Bible study. And, uh, and that summer, uh, two people came. One of, but they were actually, one was my little brother and one was my cousin, all right? <laughs> Who were both kind of obligated to be there because I'm family, right? And they came to my summer small group Bible study. They'd come every single week. And uh, we would read scripture together, talk about what it meant to us, pray for each other, and go home. And that was literally all it was, right? And just that little bit of direction, just that little bit of direction in that summer desert season was all it really took to keep me spiritually on my toes and spiritually moving in the right direction with Jesus. See, just a little bit of responsibility is a fertilizer for growth in any season of our life. And what's cool about that is that that summer Bible study was actually somewhat impactful to my little brother. My little brother ended up uh, continuing to, to learn how to follow Jesus, ended up going to college and ended up really falling in love with Jesus. And then he got called into ministry. And today he pastors a church in Minnesota. And then my cousin Jake didn't serve Jesus for like the next eight years. And eight years later, finally, Jake started serving Jesus. But there's roots, there's like little seeds planted in that moment. The point of the story is this, is that even in what is seemingly unimportant, what is seemingly dry, what is seemingly not necessarily super influential, what is seemingly feels like a desert, there are dessert things that God wants to teach us. There's something that the Lord did in my life in that season too. He reminded me that it's not about the big flash. It's not about the big Chi Alpha. It's not about having a bunch of people come to your small group. Sometimes God just wants you to be obedient and pouring your life into two people. And Jake was infinitely important to God. And my little brother was infinitely important to God. And even just the littlest kernel of truth, right? The littlest kernel of truth that actually took root in his life. Because they're infinitely important, that little kernel of truth is infinitely important to God. And I learned that that summer. I couldn't have learned that anywhere else. I learned that that summer, sitting with two people in a small group Bible study, in the middle of a desert season, and God made dessert out of a desert. Both for Jake and for Greg and for me. But if we don't have a plan, and we're not prepared... We don't see or able to see that and appreciate what can come from it. We don't make a resolution and say, no, no, I know that I know that I know. And then look for what direction God wants to bring us in. We miss that stuff. We miss it. I have four questions that I want to put on the board behind me. And I just want to challenge you to just, as we reflect, to ask yourself these questions. And we're just going to take a couple minutes to do this, and then we're going to call the worship team up and, and close. But it's simply this. Is there a desert 
season in front of me. And if there is, if you know there is, pray and ask the Lord for a preparation plan. He'll give you one tonight. Have I been convinced of something, that something is wrong with me or with God because of the season, that the dry season that I'm in? Maybe that question applies to you. Maybe for you it's resolution. and You need to say, man, if I've had the tendency to be easily swayed in the past, what resolution should I make today to say, no, no, I know that I know that I know. And then finally, ask God for a glimpse into the bigger picture and to give you direction as to what's next in this next season of your life. We're going to take two minutes to just be alone with the Lord, us and Him individually, and just ask Him which one of these questions He would like us to just spend time praying about, and then I'll be back up to, to lead us into a time of prayer here in just a little bit.